Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 46 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. Finnish developer Remedy Entertainment's second game, 2001's Max Payne, published by 3D Realms, mashed up film noir, Norse and Anglo-Saxon mythology, Hong Kong action movies and the bullet time of The Matrix to produce one of the most flashy, desirable and resource-hungry games of the year. In 2002, Remedy sold all franchise rights to Take-Two Interactive and made a sequel for them, The Fall of Max Payne, released in 2003. Joining me, Leon Cox, we have Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Hello. And the long-awaited return of Carl Moon. Hey, guys. So, Max Payne, our personal histories with the game. Tony? Um, I didn't pick up Max Payne on the PC, which obviously is its origins. Um, I have I've keep struggling to remember where I played it. I'm going to guess it was probably the PlayStation 2 version. Mm. Um, we'll talk a little, little about that later on. Uh, one of our correspondents has fond memories of the PS2 version. People who have played it recently, uh, after it was <laughs> yeah. given away on PSN Plus for free, may feel rather differently. Yes, it's, it did get. It did, did Max Payne One get an Xbox release? Yes. 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 So I have them both right here. So it was either on one of those two, and I know for 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 definite, I played Max Payne Two on the on the Xbox. Um, but uh, yeah, my history be- be- before that is that you know I before obviously I understood all the the hype surrounding it on the PC release. It was a big deal then, but um, yeah, I. I at that time, I didn't have a good enough PC, so yeah, I would have played it on console. Mm. James, what about you? Uh, I played it at release. Uh, I, I feel primed saying this almost. Because yes, it's unusual so for you. Come on here, and I've literally just played the game and have no history <laughs> yeah. and all sorts. So no, you're um, well ahead of me this time. <laughs> no, I, uh, this is one of I think three uh, gaming franchises that I that kept me in gaming uh, around sort of the turn of the century and shortly thereafter. Um, uh, I played the PC version of both games when they came out. I uh, was very much looking forward to the second after having played the first. Um, uh, and yeah, it's definitely PC did games for me, but again, we'll get onto that later on. Did, did you have a killer rig at this point? Uh, it, it wasn't a killer rig by any stretch, but <laughs> I'd got a PC for playing games at this point, and I didn't have any consoles at all at this stage. Hmm. So yeah, it was very much so PC the first games, games 2002. Uh, one. 2001. Like I said in the intro. Right, no, so I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm looking at the console release, which I guess was 2002. Speaking of not listening to one another, Tony, did you say uh, how and when you played the sequel? Yeah, on the Xbox. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, it was actually a really good port on on the Xbox. The yeah, they're, they're they're both fine ports on the Xbox. Actually, they're they're exactly weirdly, it's kind of the exact same stage of the cycle as we are now. In that, um, although it wasn't because the Xbox was newer, but it was a very similar thing in that the Xbox versions looked like uh, the PC versions from if the game had come out sort of three years before. <laughs> so lower res, uh, lower quality textures, but fundamentally worked fine. Uh, James, did you enjoy Max Payne 1 enough to buy the sequel upon release? I gather the sequel didn't sell very well. I mean, we'll talk no, about that later. And, um, yeah, it, it still surprises me to this day. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I, again, I wasn't up on release dates and everything, but Max Payne 2 was a game I was looking out for. Mm. And absolutely uh, got hold of it uh, day one and uh, played through it. Uh, again, we'll talk about how long it takes to play through it later on, but played through yeah. it a couple of times, sort of back mm. to back to... Uh, to extend the the amount of time I spent with it a little bit. So, Carl, what about you and both games? I thought originally that I picked up Max Payne 1 uh, when it came out, but uh, I, I firmly remember the story of how I came about acquiring it, and I know that I was in game in Middlesbrough, um, and I was torn between picking up one of two games. One was Max Payne, and the other was uh, Red Faction. Now, I know Red Faction was actually released later, so about a month or so later. Um, and I remember it almost being a eeny, meeny, miny, mo sort of moment. And then I was sure <laughs> that Max Payne would be the better game, so I went, well, well, I'll get this one. It says 18 on the front. If I get ID'd, I'll get Red Faction. Um, <laughs> Good call. And, I, you know, I beat the system. Uh, fuck you, system. Wow. Um, Game Middlesbrough, um, yeah. sim- similar to the places that Max Payne goes to in his story. Uh, worse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I went home and I played this on the PC and I, I, I fell in love with it. Was your PC well up to it? Yeah, from pretty much 2000 through till 2005, I would say. I was regularly spending ridiculous amounts of money on a PC. Mm. Um, PC parts so I, I certainly had a rig capable of that um, and then I bought Max Payne 2 the day it came out uh, through mail order, I didn't even have to go into Middlesbrough for this one Thank God for that. Uh, I bought the collector's edition of that one uh, which came in a nice cardboard box <laughs> and I, I always remember I, I liked that one a lot um, Yeah, and I thought thor- obviously I, I thoroughly enjoyed that franchise as a whole so I made sure that I got the second one uh, the day it came out <laughs> Yeah, for me, I remember this coming out and my PC was a couple of years old at the time and I hadn't upgraded it in any way and uh, I was concerned that it wouldn't run at all well. Uh, Although the the style of it, uh, in terms of the gameplay style, third-person shooter with the bullet time, appealed. The actual, the look of the game didn't particularly, so it wasn't one of those where I thought, oh, I'm going to have to upgrade my rig just to play this game. And then by the time... By the time I did upgrade my gaming PC in 2004 for Half-Life 2, Max Payne kind of seemed a bit old hat and uh, there was already Max Payne 2, but kind of the moment had passed. So uh, I picked them up on Xbox a couple of years ago for about £2 each. Um, Have had them sitting here, had a little dabble, uh, but then in the end for this show I downloaded them on Steam for 
a fiver the pair and uh, decided to play them on there but i have also been into the xbox versions to compare and contrast and as as i said they are indeed perfectly functional versions albeit they you know lower mm. res lower quality <laughs> textures i would say the first one's not perfectly functional it's pretty broken in some respects how come well, I was talking about this. Well, I was talking to you about this. That how the first one, if you're running it on Win- Vista or Windows Seven, there's all sorts of issues with. The- oh, sorry, no, I was talking about the Xbox version being an entirely oh. functional port. Okay, yes, the the st- yes, you're quite right. The the Steam version of Max Payne One is not a functional version. No, um, yeah, just to give some. You know, if anybody wants to pick these up or have picked these up and thinking about playing them, um, if you're running Vista or Windows 7, there seems to be all sorts of problems with the first one. Mainly, the, the issues are the control's fine, the shooting's all fine, but mm. it misses, it drops most of the music and most of the, the dialogue. So Max Payne's pretty famous for a voiceover. Um, his noir style. His noir style, and all that stuff mm. is ripped out. Um, you can actually, I mean, I went searching, and if you go on to, uh, I think... The Steam forum. There's a link over to uh, the Rockstar stuff where, um, or you know, there, there's links everywhere that basically takes you to an unofficial patch that was created by somebody that actually reinsert all the files in the correct order and uh, correct mm. formats and stuff, and it all runs fine. But I did actually play the first game for a, an hour or so, going. I'm sure that this doesn't sync right. Like, I'm sure there should be voiceovers here, and it's the joys of PC gaming. Of course, you're like, well, this isn't right. Uh, so yeah, bit of bit of searching. You can fix it, but. It's a bit of a, a pain. To be it was a bit more sporadic for me, I guess, just minor differences in rig or whatever. Um, m- my music would drop in and out and the speech would drop in and out. Sometimes if I quick loaded uh, a few times in a row, that or, or the, the audio would kick back in. Very strange. But um, yeah, overall, I was quite glad that I had, obviously, we've got YouTube, but also had the Xbox version to... Uh, to hear the score and and listen yeah, to the voice acting and stuff. 2001, so a, a long enough time period for technology to have changed considerably enough on PCs for it to be an issue. But two two run absolutely perfectly fine. Okay, uh, so my uh, first the first thing that struck me was some claims made in the manual for the original Max Payne that are false. Max Payne is the first action game that actually monitors your ability to play and auto-adjust the difficulty level to match your playing ability. Um, no, it wasn't. Not by a, not by about ten years or more. Uh, but it was Remedy's um, second game. Don't know if anyone played uh, Death Rally. Uh, I did. Yeah, uh, recently come out on iOS, I think, as an Android. I believe it did. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know anything about that game. I've got to admit. Is it a classic? Was it was it a stunning debut from the Finnish WizKids? It didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, I think my love for the almost top-down racer hit a high point with Micro Machines on the Dreamcast, and it's sort of been a bit downhill since. And it just never sort of captured that sort of special. It was it didn't have like the the multiplayer with it being on PC. It wasn't quite the the same social yeah. surrounding. It was. Oh, this Didn't is have a J cart. This is quite fun. Yeah. So it's a sprint style uh, or supercars, whichever you know, depending on your vintage yes. type type game. Okay, but and so they followed it up boldly with a uh, a third person action shooter with extremely, uh, for the time, large characters on screen, loads of polygons whizzing about, um, high res textures, and and so on and so forth. So. Um, yeah, let's get into it. So, uh, what's the setup, guys? It's quite, it's quite a, it's quite an abrupt and uh, shocking opening. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the game starts, uh, the technical term is in media res, in the middle of proceedings, as it were. Um, and it, it, the music, and this, it's dark and uh, snowing at the time, and you very much get the feeling of it being a noir story uh, with the voiceover uh, as, as the camera uh, pans up a building, if I remember correctly, past a police car that's screaming down the road, and you pan up a building and see uh, Max Payne toting a rifle stood at the top of it, uh, looking out over the city, as if to jump by the by his demeanour, in all honesty. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things you notice, and it, it's still striking because it, you don't really see this anymore, um, the uh, the face of pain is clearly a you know a high res texture for, again for the time uh, a photo of and it turns out it's the writer of the game uh, Sam Lake. Sam Lake or Sammy Yarvey is his actual uh, name yeah Yarvey his, is, is, um, his Finnish name <laughs> yeah yeah Yarvey is Finnish for Lake so right um, so uh, he actually in real life he's blonde but uh, in in the game both he models for the texture for Payne's face and also in the uh, cutscenes which are kind of um, clearly taken from photographs and then uh, treated in some way with brushes uh, to make them look more like a graphic novel and funnily enough, I believe he actually wasn't aware that he was going to be the face of Max Payne. Mm. He knew he was supposed to be in the cutscenes and was later surprised to find out they'd actually used him on the character model as well. Yeah, he was yeah. He was just a stand-in, I think. He was supposed to be a, ho- a placeholder and they ended up keeping him. Um, we'll end up getting right. to this when we talk about some of the other characters, but um, it reminded me, the, the faces on all the characters in these, of um, the games I know it from are the Rainbow Six Vegas games when you mm. can use the camera to put your own face onto the character and it literally yeah. just looked like this rather... EA Sports games more more yeah, contemporarily. Yeah, yeah. GoldenEye, I think, was the first time I remember uh, seeing seeing this done sort of recognisably uh, in, in 97, where it was, oh my God, that actually looks a little bit like a deformed Sean Bean and Robbie Coltrane and Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Uh, and and these, these are still um, low enough poly that even... Like I, I was playing this game unsurprisingly uh, at highest settings for everything uh, the faces still look a little bit deformed by today's sort of standards oh, yeah Max himself has this sort of trademark look through most of the first game that kind of looks like he's a little bit constipated one one facial <laughs> he's expression got really yeah. sort of pursed and pinched look to his mouth and nose and it well, it's, it's what they do they, they there's no facial movement so it's it's just a image plastered on there and how they they make him smile or frown or whatever they just they change that that image to to make his mouth do a, a slightly different thing and it's almost cartoon like as and when it happens and some of the times you, you're you're going in to kill these guys and they they wince at you and it's the most disturbing thing you've ever seen it really yeah. doesn't hold up to today's standards but you know I, I think you know you'd probably give it some slack for for trying something back in 2001 it actually became quite iconic as well. The the, the face of Max Payne. It was mm. a mix between you. Ha- you had those that loved it and those that mocked it. But I think amongst them, they wouldn't have really wanted it any other way because it was so recognisable to the game, and people would mimic it, and they would dress up and they'd take photos and pretend to be Max Payne with a leather jacket on and a stupid gurning face. And it was it was all quite funny. I think um, there's, there's certainly a sense of humour to the Max Payne games, but I think that's mm-hmm. one that certainly they missed, and it later came back to, I won't say haunt them, but it well, they possibly an image. possibly made a mistake by uh, changing that for the second game. Then, um, 
Although, you know, there's there's lots of stuff in the second game that refers to things that they obviously weren't happy with in the first game. Um, but maybe maybe they underestimated how, you know, the affection that the community had for for the, the quirks of the first game. I, I was, I'm, I'm just going to... I think it was like um, trying to make the best of the limitations of what they were trying to achieve with the story, uh, with, with the characters in that. And for me, like, now it really doesn't work. I think it, it's actually quite off-putting. No, it looks... I, I think it looks terrible yeah. really, like really <laughs> terrible um yeah the, the the second game with its more sort of recognizably uh video gamey characters but modeled on uh modeled on people higher poly- polygon count and everything uh, looks way more effective it it looks very much uh, of its time shall we say um so yeah let's not go like scene by scene through this game but i think the the most important uh events occur quite quickly uh in that uh, when you take control of pain you are in your own house and uh a, a sequence of grim events play out yeah very grim um, max arrives home as per any other day from work uh, and sort of drops his keys on the side and then realizes very quickly that there's something wrong in the house um, things have been knocked aside and there's uh, I think there's some graffiti on the wall that he spots mm-hmm. that becomes obviously a running theme through the game and he makes his way upstairs and starts to hear a commotion. Um, at this point you can sort of search the house and find uh, other guns than your standard police um, handgun. Um, and, and Max ends up uh, being confronted by an armed uh, gunman um, while the, the screams of his wife and, and baby are, are heard in the background. Uh, and it turns out that two uh, sort of drug addicts have broken into the house and have attacked uh, and, and killed his baby and are in the process of killing his, his wife as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty uh, bold opening for a, a game to kill an infant in, in the opening mm-hmm. seconds. Uh, how 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 well do you feel that stands up? Did did you still find it affecting? I mean, is it's it's hard. I would say it's it's quite hard to not find a baby being killed uh, in some way affecting, unless you're a very cold person. No, it is. It's, I think it's still affecting. I think you're right. Whatever it looks like graphically, however it yeah. sounds, what what you are being shown, we all recognise what it is. And it's horrific, and and you know this is a father coming home to find uh, his his baby, you know, in its still in its cot, but murdered and it's discreetly covered, yeah. uh, possibly for either reasons of taste or graphical considerations. It has to be said, though, it's a pretty old cliche. You know the the perfect well the cop and his wife and his child, the perfect American dream family. Well, he um, yeah he pretty you know, pretty much setups. says that. You know, been done a million times before. Before this game, kind of done that. But the fact that you know, they, I think, they probably could have quite easily got away without the baby being killed. Um, but you know, going that extra mile does cement it in in one of the, you know more. It would have also, yeah, it would have made the game very difficult because you'd have had to keep stopping in the middle of levels to change it and feed it and stuff well, like that. Yeah, <laughs> the cries of the baby uh, pan out a number of times in this game, so it makes well, it's the visual sense. and audible cues of that baby throughout the game uh, are quite unusual in a video game, certainly at that period of time. I mean, we're going back 11 years, and in that 11 years, I can't think of many games that would even attempt the death of a baby. Maybe these days it would be almost too... These days they put it in the advert, but not in the game. 
they would get mm. a bit condemned for it. And uh, <laughs> in terms of killing babies in a game, it was done in a classier way than it could have been done, so to say. Um, I mean, games like Dead Space Two have had infants uh, dying and whatnot, but this was, as you said, it was covered discreetly but it, there was blood there there was the screaming, there's the baby's cries it's certainly a way to enter the game and you know, be memorable and even now it is one of those memorable openings to a game So the the setup really of the game is that then you have this uh, emotionally tortured uh, character uh, who obviously is making it his mission to uh, find out you know what what ha- what happened why this happened and to exact some kind of revenge possibly not by the book he doesn't play by the rules anymore so he goes tracking mobsters basically from one mobster to another linking them up so he ends up uh at a club called the Ragnarok and this is the first sort of perhaps blatant obvious uh reference to Norse mythology which uh these crop up throughout um, the game, both games actually. So you have the Acer Corporation, which is uh, a pantheon of Norse gods. You have uh, a character called Woden, which is the Anglo-Saxon version of Odin, who's uh, a Norse god again. Um, you have Valkyr, which is a drug um, tested on uh, U.S. military in the Gulf, and of course the Valkyries were flying warriors. Um, what interests me, though, is uh, you, you know it's um, it's it's a thing that you know there there are only so many stories and you can draw you know draw on other mythologies to tell the same story you know like a west side story telling romeo and juliet kind of thing um but what i i wondered why um this finnish development team went with norse mythology rather than the rather interesting finnish mythology <laughs> they have they have all sorts of, uh, you know, the same things. They have they have gods of skies and thunder and heroes and spirits and all this stuff. Um, I wonder why they particularly had a penchant for Norse mythology. Maybe it was just the story they wanted to tell. Anyone got any thoughts on that? Uh, well, no hard fact to back it up, but I just wonder if it was, if it's possibly truly, but certainly perceived that um, around the world, Norse mythology is perhaps more well known and therefore easier to to draw on and have people under, immediately yeah. understand, you know. But it also made it more bloody obvious, you know, all these names referring to it, whereas I, it would have been quite interesting if you'd had to sort of go, like, if they'd had characters named after these Finnish gods, which, uh, you know, I, I've looked them up now, and I, I've, I, I'm not familiar with Ukko and, uh, and these others, but it would have been more interesting to me if they'd gone down that road and, uh, you know... Um, and and you'd have actually had to sort of uh, look into it more rather than going, oh, I see what they're doing. Norse mythology. Yeah. Uh, where does that take us up to in the story? Uh, it takes us up to the point at which you start to realise that all these Italian-Americans look rather Scandinavian. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of blonde hair and sort of big, sort of uh, very Scandinavian-looking faces in the in the game. Uh, yeah. and, and it stands out certainly when you get to the point of the assault on Ragnarok and uh, Carl you might be able to help out the name of the character who is a mobster but has has taken to worshipping um, northern mythology and gods and he's gone off the rails and talking about drinking blood and all sorts yeah there's various uh, there's quite a lot of sort of European spellings around the place and things like that it's it's not 
I wouldn't say it's particularly convincing New York. Um, this is really uh, a game about, um, you know, Max goes from one place to the next, uh, interacting with items and blowing everyone away to get to the next cutscene, the next clue. Uh, it, it's after he heads to Ragnarok. Um, he finds kills uh, Jack Lupino, and that's where you're introduced to Mona Sachs, um, who's an assassin who is also after the Don of the Punchinello family because he's dating her sister. Yeah. Twin sister. Yes, uh, and mm. he beats her. So whilst he's your target, uh, she wants to be the one to kill him because she's an assassin and she's got personal reasons for it as well, uh, in which she actually uh, dr- uh, tricks you into drinking drugs and it puts you oh, into yeah. the first hallucinogenic state that you're in in the game. Oh yeah, we should uh, mention these. Uh, the, there's only, thankfully, only two of these uh, alternate stages where you don't have weapons, but you are negotiating a nightmarish sort of area. Uh, and these levels finish with um, <laughs> sort of. It's kind of like. Uh, how best to describe it? It's like the void levels in Mario, but with none of the yeah, Super Mario Sunshine, but with none of the control <laughs> or uh, charm or fidelity. So you're you're walking along paths of blood in darkness, on and an you have invisible, on an invisible wire. Yeah, basically on a beam, and uh, on particularly on the, the first one is pretty much a maze that you have to find your way through and there's a couple of hops you have to make but on the second one you actually have to uh, drop down from level to level and land on these ledges and stuff and uh, it's at this point you're quite pleased that uh, Max Payne has a quick save. Um, I think these levels as I recall are quite notorious Yes, the, the, there was quite a lot of condemnation, uh, certainly amongst uh, the community who enjoyed the game um, they, they, they enjoyed the idea uh, the progressing through the house that would warp around you was good, but it was until you got to these paths of which you had to cross. Uh, they weren't well directed, they were clumsy, they fall into your death. Um, whilst they did do a good job of telling the story and uh, affecting the, the the character with the, the you know you had the babies crying, the it, wife screaming, the wife screaming. It did feel a little clumsy. It was slow. It, you didn't ever feel completely in control. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I would argue that that's exactly what they were trying to achieve. I mean, I, I probably not the falling off down to your death and being frustrated, but but it, it was affecting in a way that you know many other aspects of the game. I thought was you know coming back to it now and playing it eleven years after its release, you know, quite generic and kind of just formulaic. I actually found coming, you know, I remember these levels and I remember them being an absolute pain on the console version which I played. Um, and they were still a pain here, but I, I like some of the neat effects that they did, which is, you know, kind of pulling the camera out and making it go almost like you are in a drug state. Following those paths, you know, were disorientating, but I guess that's what they were trying to achieve. Um, like Leon says, quick save is your, your key to this one because you are basically just walking in the dark and following red lines and just hoping you have gone the right way. But a couple of times I found myself taking wrong paths, having to turn back, seeing the light in the distance and thinking, OK, I need to go there. And with the kids screaming and stuff, kind of, you know, it, it kind of got a little bit under my skin, which other parts of the game didn't. So, you know, although the mechanics of it, I think, were probably actually quite broken. I really like the the idea and the atmosphere of what they were trying to present to the, to the player. 
Yeah, it was a reference of Max's mental state. Mm. Um, you know, the, the lack of control, the, the worry, you know, the, the falling off aspect of, you know, of losing his mind and having the focus, the goal to get there at the end and get through it. Just maybe a bit too literal in this case. Yes. Yeah, I think because each of these sequences starts with Max being uh, intentionally drugged by another party um, and then he he comes into a familiar place, uh, the, the house in, in one case, his old, his old house, um, and you get the feeling there's something very wrong, it's kind of like being in a nightmare um, and particularly the second time around, he's he's just been tortured and then um, drugged with an overdose and left for dead. Um, and they actually, before you get to the the blood trails and the baby screaming, they do a lot of sort of fourth wall breaking stuff, um, where there's explicit references to the graphic novel and being in a video game, and that's all actually quite interesting ways to show, as you say, Carl, his his mental state and what the effect of the drug is on him. Um, but the problem is at the end of it all you have to run around this blood trail and it mechanically is just so frustrating and, and just saps any uh, atmosphere that that, that that has. I think when when I think of that now I think of the um, the sequences in Batman Arkham Asylum and in terms of gameplay wise they, they weren't nearly as frustrating as this. Certainly the first bits where you've got Sort of this this bleeding between different realities and and between memory and and you know what's currently happening, um, and I think their intentions there were pretty good uh, in terms of what they were trying to show Max going through, but gameplay wise, it's it's a mess. So Max's leads eventually lead him uh, as as these things up and up the. The ladder to uh, yeah. yes to a Nicola Horn, who is of course uh, an executive at the Acer Corporation. Uh, she wanted the project of this Valkyr drug, which, as we said, was uh, used to uh, well, is in theory going to be used to uh, boost the combat effectiveness of soldiers, um, but it's ended up being a, a recreational drug. Uh, because it sends people insane, but I assume it doesn't. They don't really mention whether it's addictive or not. I assume it's pretty much implicit that it is. Uh, she's sort of continued the project, even though it, it had no practical military use. Um, this is why uh, Mrs. Payne uh, somehow learned what was going on, um, and that's why her and her baby were killed uh, by drug-addled lunatics. Um, Max receives uh, a contact from uh, a senator, Alfred Woden, who has some important information to give him about stuff that's going on. Uh, He meets at the Asgard building um, and reveals that uh, he and Horn are members of this so-called inner circle, a secret political society. Of course, it was all always going to be all much bigger than we possibly could have imagined. Uh, the inner circle uh, no longer on side with Horn, even though she's a member. Um, and so Woden agrees to clear Max's names. We haven't really covered the fact that Max is kind of in all sorts of shit. Yeah. He's wanted for the death of his best friend in the DEA, who mm. the, the the force actually believes he was responsible for his death. 
so yeah, Woden suggests he can clear Max if he does the dirty with uh, killing Horn. Um, and that that pretty much leads us right to uh, the, the, the final, final confrontation, the final confrontation, which is an assault yeah. on the uh, the Acer Corporation building, which, of course. being a, a large corporation, has a, a pretty elite security force that you've got to go in and fight your way through. Yeah, ends up on the rooftop, uh, as we saw at the start. Um, in this case, the end boss takes the form of uh, Nicola Horn trying to escape in a helicopter. Uh, rather uh, unbelievably, you shoot four uh, sus- suspension cables away from a mast atop the building, and then <laughs> shoot. The thing I didn't get was after I'd shot all the cables, it's like, what the fuck do I do now? Oh, obviously, you have to shoot at the at the actual mast to make it fall over in exactly the right place to land on a helicopter. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it's not a difficult um, boss, but you can you can uh, run out of time. And there's a there's a separate cutscene for her flying away if you haven't worked out what you're supposed to be doing. Um, the, um, the merit to it is it's it's the only boss that isn't just an, a, a straightforward gunfight with a character who's got a bit more health than than regular enemies. So yeah, which is always kind of a, a bit of a dubious thing anyway. When you've got a regular sized dude uh, who's just you know, I mean, uh, I guess the sort of justification is for some of them that they're completely insane, so they don't even yeah, kind of like they don't even notice. Tapped up on drugs so much yeah. that they literally can't feel the bullets. But yeah, bullets I mean, the, the, the still should have an effect, I would imagine. Well, yes, I mean, the whole conceit of the game, obviously, this is a, a an endless, uh, a never-ending video game issue for most games that aren't you know one of those super realistic military shooters or uh, maybe I am alive or something like that. Is that uh, you can take a number of bullets? Although actually, as games go, and let's get straight into the gameplay, um, Max can be taken out pretty damn fast. If uh, if you end up in a room and surrounded, uh, that's going to be game over pretty quick because your your pain meter uh, can go from bottom to top in just a few gunshots. Yeah, you're very very vulnerable. Um, you quickly learn that you have to be a bit more sort of tactical with it and uh, this was the problem I had when I started the PS2 um, version was that I'd forgotten just how vulnerable you were, Mm. especially if the controls aren't quite up to snuff Um, Mm. then you can very quickly find yourself in trouble Um, Max's defence against this, well, are twofold, first of all he carries painkillers and pops them like they're going out of fashion, Mm -hmm. Um, and second of all, he can slow time Uh, it's, it's not a it's never explained how he has this ability. It's just uh, an ability that he has. He can slow time uh, in a in a bullet well using bullet time effectively. As we uh, know now, know it yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, I mean, Remedy maintained that they started developing the game with this feature built in before the Matrix came out Possible. and was big. And but they actually did show footage of the game yeah. long before the Matrix yeah. came out. Um, and if you actually start looking on forums, you'll find uh, before long some people claiming that bullet time was actually a term that, that Remedy came up with mm. and 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 not... Um, oh, I forget the, the name of the guy. John... Oh. No, um, the guy, the technical uh, director for oh, the Wachowskis. Right, okay. who, yeah, I can't uh, remember his name. John's his first name, can't remember his surname, apologies. Um but uh, but I, I think that's probably not true. Bullet time's mostly considered to have been a, a term, at least that was come up with by um, by the guys working on on the Matrix. Mm. Um, but they certainly did come up with the term shoot dodge, yes. which is which is the extension of this, where Max can can uh, 
by jumping forward or, or well, in any direction, in mm. fact, can uh, can leap and execute bullet time at the same time, uh, and, yeah. and this and is continue to shoot all the way to the ground. This is the iconic thing. This is the thing the game's famous for. This was the game's unique selling point at the time, and uh, well, I there mean, it I, is. I, the game was in development for a very long time. It's one of these classic ones where they've shown the game way before it was ever going to be released and mm. drip fed the, the audience for, you know, I believe since 1996. So a good chunk of time mm. before it ever hit. I mean, Remedy have a history now of doing this. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think they, they even admit, like, maybe, you know, this, this stuff they had created before The Matrix came out, but they would have been fools not to capitalise on what The Matrix then did thereafter, which was bullet time was a huge thing which The Matrix brought to the masses. And, you know, of course, you know, <laughs> you, you may not admit that it was entirely, you know, you, it wasn't theirs that you stole, but you must, you know, use that extra audience which you know love the Matrix and and use it in your favour. So uh, there, there is kind of references all over the place to what Matrix was within this game. Yeah, it was certainly um, the thing that appealed to me most. Uh, even though, as I say, at the time I didn't get the game because I was concerned my PC wouldn't be able to run it uh, adequately. Um, I was uh, I wasn't particularly young when the Matrix came out. I was twenty six or so, uh, but. I still thought it was, you know, I was young enough to think it was well, super fucking cool. And even, uh, even digging further, I mean, apparently there was a game called Avenge, the Avenging Angel, which used something called Time Warp, which mm. was basically the same thing in a more kind of, you know, it was Christ well before I believe it was like ninety four that game. I think, um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't actually sort of gone back uh, and physically researched, but based on my own. Uh, gaming knowledge i can't remember anything that did it exactly the same but i have a vague sense that max Payne wasn't the first ever game to allow the player to slow down time in some way but what it did add using the power of the pc was the obviously the rotating camera and the fact that it modeled each individual uh projectile that you shot individually um as as they mentioned in the manual the the difference between in the feel between max Payne and other games is that when you fire much as you know you see the bullets going th- going through the air in those famous scenes in the matrix you actually your bullet is actually being modeled through the air and uh, and hitting the enemy rather than it just instantly dot a to dot b yeah, yeah yeah exactly and that does give lend it quite a distinctive feel yeah definitely i mean the um the makers of Matrix would be the first to say that they weren't the first to come up with some of the ideas that, that are, they're credited with having. No, um, indeed. But they, they were the most notable and they brought it to the masses for one of And in place. fact, uh, well, I mean, talking about them being plagiarists, there, there was quite a lot of controversy about the actual story of the, <laughs> the Matrix uh, after, after, the, uh, after people realised that the second and third films were so shite that they can't possibly have come up with that really good one themselves. <laughs> Yeah, um, but um, uh, certainly the Matrix and and this game very much owes quite a lot of credit to uh, to John Woo and the films yes. he was making, and and a lot yeah. of the aspect of slowing down and having a very cinematic look to gunfights um, comes from him, and the game makes explicit references to that. I mean, there's uh, the password to the laundry that you have to get um, mm. is is John John Who you are asked, and obviously that's explicitly John Woo yeah. um, and there's there's a couple of uh, lines referencing Chow Yun-Fat and, and mm. other uh, films of, of John Woo's uh, Chow Yun-Fat obviously being a star of, of a couple of them 
It's an, I, I remember it feeling fresh and new uh, back then. Uh, it, it, we we become so cynical, maybe with so many uh, you know third person shooter games, even first person mm. shooter games as well, that they, it feels like you can't you know invent anything new now. Which of course is is untrue. There's always new stuff around the corner. But back then, I remember going, "Wow, that's I've never seen that before." I could a bit like me wanting to buy a PC for um, Half Life Two just by seeing some of the videos there. I can imagine if I was you know in a position to afford one, how that could have been the thing to drive me to to go that extra mile and, and pay city money just for having this pretty new experience. Because I was trying to think of other third-person shootery games around 2001. I mean, where, where does it fit within that lexicon? I remember mm. what, Halo Halo came out. That's the first person. That's the first person yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking shooters. And, and that's the thing I was sort of thinking about, because nowadays, third-person shooters, even more so than first-person shooters, kind of have their home on consoles. Most of them are console games first with maybe PC mm. ports, unless anyone can think of any uh, particular uh, sort of contrary examples to that. You know, you think about your Gears of War or, or you know, games in that ilk that have sort of been in this uh, generation. And they're, they're kind of all console games first and foremost, whereas back in, in, um, in 2001, this was very much a PC game. Um, so it's, it's... Devil May Cry? That's that's not a shooter. That's a no. But I'm just saying. I'm thinking like kinetic action kind of stuff. But yeah, um, well, that yeah. I mean, that's you know, the, that's the same year. I mean, you know, there certainly were. Uh, we'd already had. Um, you know, we'd had 3D for a while. But even even going back to the arcades of the 80s, we there was a you know over the shoulder shooters in the form of Cabal and um, Dynamite Duke and things like that. So it wasn't you know it wasn't like a brand new genre. It was just it was taking you know taking the technology that was then available with the with the photographic quality faces and the real-time bullet, bullet modeling and the th- you know the fact that you could spin the camera around and all that stuff um i don't yeah i don't it wasn't like a new genre but it added some very sort of flashy gimmicks to it certainly and but the, the reason i bring this up is because you know i feel like we we've kind of bumbled our way through the plot somewhat um i remember quite liking it then but to me now it's it just didn't grab me. I mean, playing it eleven years down the line, we've we've progressed quite far within this genre. Um, I like I like the ideas and I like the style of it, and I quite like the comic book presentation. But just the actual plot itself, it's you know, I you know, me just saying it's comic book like, um, maybe plays into exactly what they were trying to achieve. But it it just kind of washed over me uh, eleven years down the line. I mean, can you did it affect you guys back then, and does it still have that same trick now? Uh, the style of it certainly I really enjoyed then I think the the plot I think the, there's there's problems with the plot in the first game um, it's it's very convoluted but needlessly so it seems very bitty and then at the end it's sort of all brought together with this one twist in the story and finally everything makes sense under the, the Acer Corporation umbrella um, but I, th- I think they learn that lesson and, and they, they rectify that for the second game which we'll talk about obviously later um, but I think it's the style of it. It's um, you know the the, the graphic novel style um, cutscenes, um, the 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 noir aspect to it. You know, referencing plenty of different noir films, talking about Bogart and the Maltese Falcon and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, gave it a very cinematic feel. And then that came together with the fact that it looked quite cinematic in terms of the the way, well, as we talked, the way it, it plays and the way it looks, and it looks like an action film. Um, so the plot, no, the, the plot never really was was the thing to grab me. But the, the character of Max and and maybe his uh, anti-hero status, his plight, 
definitely I, I was was interesting to me at the time and still is today to be honest I mean my views differ a little bit to James's um, I think it's easier to be critical on the way a game tells a story looking back on it certainly a game that's 11 years old um, if you if you look back at you know at that time there weren't many games telling strong stories certainly not very many that were told from a third person or anything that tends to be any good story would be told in a JRPG obviously uh, the likes people would mention Final Fantasy or Sukaden etc would all tell interesting stories that could not be told in a game like this um, maybe Metal Gear Solid as an exception um, even then some would say that that was quite clumsy uh, I'll draw another game that came out in 2001 that also did a great job of telling a story um, in Silent Hill 2 uh, perhaps this was the time that games were moving on we were starting to tell better stories I think even if you look over the last five years we've only really seen games start to push stories that are in getting towards where they need to be um, look, look, looking back on something like Max Payne it did do quite a good job sure there were gaps but it defined stories, it defined roles for those characters, it defined a backstory, it defined um, a foreground story, it revolved around drugs. It Everything had a purpose. But in games media, which, as we always say, even now is new media, this is over a decade ago, uh, it did a great job for its time, certainly in an action game. I mean, there are many action movies released now that don't give a good a story as this. We may, as Tony said, perhaps bodged our way through the telling of the story. Uh, we we missed certain elements, how the, the 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 gangsters were brought into it, how they were the ones that were selling the drugs, um, they were the ones pushing the drugs, etc. There were classes, and... The easiest way is it improved with Max Payne 2. If anyone's played Max Payne 3, now you'll see how far storytelling's come in that series. It wasn't a great story. For its time, it was a very good story. Well, then, conversely, you know, if I mean, if, if the story wasn't something that caught me in this, 10 years, 11 years down the line, how do we feel about the gameplay? Now, I know, Leon, you were having... Did you? Enjoy, I, I, it's hard to pin you down because I know that you weren't blown away by the game. Um, but did the gameplay, as, as somebody that hadn't spent too much time with it back when it, it came out, did it do anything to you now, eleven years down? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't play it at all until about three years ago, and that was the Xbox version. Um, and yeah, I've only played through it this last uh, couple of weeks. Um, uh, the 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 bullet time stuff, the slow mo gun shooting is about the only aspect of Max Payne 1 that I enjoyed um, the the actual simple moments of cinematic cool, you know, that USP that iconic thing where Max dives sideways, um, but unfortunately a lot of the other things about the gameplay I don't think stand up at all the, the fact that every encounter every enemy is pre-scripted their appearance, what they do, where they appear the fact that certain sequences are pretty much about memorizing um you know you 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 die you, it, it's got that you know you die to to work out what you have to do thing so you're going to room and a grenade will be thrown at your feet and max literally isn't fast enough to get out of the way um 
so you will die you will have to reload and uh, you know come in from a different angle or immediately run across the other side of the room and it's that you know lots of rooms are like that in terms of your your you've got no pre-warning there might be an audio sample to let you know you're about to fight some people but if you just go into that room there's no there's no sort of cover mechanic which i know they brought into uh max pain three um you're pretty much the first time you know they're on you is they go pain and uh bang 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 and often you're dead um you can hide you know there, there's no cover mechanic but you can take a certain amount of cover bef- behind things the enemies um will try and flank you but again it's all pretty much uh th- there's no there's no actual ai going on as such they're just they're just told to head for you um and Right, without jumping ahead too much, um, I think the, the most important thing, the thing that makes Max Payne 2 actually stand up okay compared to Max Payne, is Havoc Physics. Because the, 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 the sense of actually hitting people with bullets in the first game is painfully lacking by modern standards. Um, I don't actually know what year Havoc was released um obviously it's in virtually everything now no matter what genre max Payne 2 max Payne 2 was the first major release it was the second mm-hmm. game but it was the first major release right. feature has it havoc physics yeah and and it absolutely uh it, it it's a great example of where something that's purely cosmetic in the sense that it doesn't actually alter the mechanics of the game any other than you can you know you can knock things off shelves and stuff like that um it's so enhances the impact of everything you do in that game from the from the first guy i shot in the opening scene of max Payne 2 i was like oh cool okay now now we're getting somewhere but the first game i just i i found boring and annoying in equal measure it it was odd because i mean i had a a, yeah a kind of background conversation with you and when you were saying i I really haven't got on with max Payne 1 and i was like wow because i remember it being you know fantastic Mm. in my mind it's you know and i hadn't played it then so I, I started that night, and you know my memories of Max Payne One is the dive, the shoot, the thrill, the kill. Yeah. It was that that was logged like eleven years of well, yeah, you dive and you kill people, and that's really cool. But beyond that, like the story stuff, I remember certain beats of it, such as you know the aforementioned um, the dream sequences and stuff. But I don't ever remember being quite so bored by the whole, the whole experience. The levels one. really drag on. A lot of the um, levels are way too yeah, long. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, this, this is a, a critique 11 years post of where this game was. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can... That's part of what we do, you know, part of what we... Th- these games are still available to buy, so we are also yeah, reviewing so for people who haven't played them. Myself, back 11 years' time, I think actually just jumping and killing people and, and progressing through probably at a fairly you know slow pace over a number of weeks was perfectly fine to me and that's probably what I was looking for from that. Somebody who come to this now and you know, 11 years of game development, it's really, really linear, which is fine for a game like this anyway, but it's also overly long. Um, the game can, what, clocks in around 12 mm. plus hours? I've seen some people say it's. I don't think it was quite that long for me, but yeah, six if you've already played it. I managed to run through it. I think it was eight, uh, eight to nine for me, but yeah, um, but some of the level, there's there's that one level where you're going down and round a multi-story car park, and it just goes on and on, and it looks and it looks so boring. <laughs> so the the environments don't change. The the combat 
actually, you know, the combat mechanics don't really change what you're given at the very start. Once you get the slow mo, basically, is there? They give you different weapons, of course. Yeah, you do end up with yeah. some uh, with quite an arsenal, and also other weapons like molotovs and grenades, and they're they're reasonably well implemented, and but and a sniper the, rifle. The thing I do remember from the first game is the the difficulty spikes being all over the place, mm. which I encountered again playing it through eleven years later. Which is you'll be perfectly fine, like the answer, you know, a grenade. But for me, it was like sometimes I believe when they introduced the the, the uh, black kind of body body guarded enemies, um, body armor, yeah, sort of commandos, armor, yeah, type, yeah. yeah um, I remember meeting them again for the first time, almost dying instantaneously, and really having to use the slow motion mechanics to headshots to are your out. friend. Obviously, the mouse, yeah, you know, the mouse mechanic. control is is very good. There's, uh, you can, I, I guess, on console, there's an aim assist, um, which would probably take some of the the feeling of of skill and fidelity out of it, but. Um, at least you have that on the PC. But there are other mechanical problems with the dodge, shoot and roll, such as there are points where Max fills up the entire screen and you can't, you can't see shit of what you're aiming at. Um, the, the, the actual sight in the first game, there's no option. In the second game, they added a number of choices for what, what you like your crosshairs to look like. In the first game, it's a tiny speck of a dot. And if you're playing at very high res, as you are now, it's minuscule. And uh, it's very hard to actually see what's going on. There is, of course, the thing which, I, and I know people have talked about this even in terms of the recent game um the the thing where you go shoot dodging and you jump sideways and you just clip into some tiny piece of scenery but it stops you moving completely so you're pretty much a sitting duck um or there's the dive into a hole that you've never seen before uh all those kind of things now you know occasionally occasional moments like that are fine and there is a quick save and it can be quite funny but you can end up in a sort of cycle of frustration with this game i found yeah, so I just think my like, my twenty one year old self was actually perfectly fine with a lot of them. Dude, look at him out. go! <laughs> it's all like that. Yeah, yeah but yeah. um, but uh, now I, it, you know, the experience dragged for far too long, um, and it just didn't change up enough. And for whatever reason, this time the story just didn't engage with me. Um, like not without merit, but I just, I'm 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 glad I was playing it on the PC because having the the pinpoint headshot mechanics I mean I don't know how I probably played it on the Playstation 2 or Xbox as and when I did because uh, I've gone back and, and messed around with that it must be a nightmare on the PS2 because the frame rate is terrible mm. the the DualShock has those famous infamous dead zones on the analogue sticks and they're I, really really exaggerated in yeah. this game particularly right I mean you talk about aim assist and there, there must be some because if you know if it had just been a straight port with no changing to the to the aiming system whatsoever it would literally be unplayable on consoles and clearly the Xbox version does I've not played it but clearly from listening to you guys it, it does yeah. work reasonably well the frame rate is a bit lower but the aim assist yeah. compensates but I, I powered up the PS2 version and oh. thought I've played them on, on the PC I'll try it on the PS2 I've got it for free on Playstation Plus fine let's have a go I didn't make it out of the first room before I thought I'm not playing this and going back to the PC because it feels like a PC game that you're trying to control with a controller. You know, like you're using a, a piece of software on your PC to emulate a controller. That's mm. what it feels like. And it awful. I could not even Perfect it time to bring in uh, Andy Kurosaki from the Character Select Forum here. He says, I absolutely love both these games. Max Payne 1 was the first PS2 game I bought. The comic book noir-style presentation of the story was both original and interesting, with Max's strange metaphors, ice raining down like frozen daggers. Then you had the various Easter eggs, TV shows, news reports and cartoons that you could easily miss if, it, if, if you weren't scouting around. And of course, the combat was just fantastic. It was just so satisfying to jump through the air in slow-mo, blasting enemies full of holes until you crashed onto your 
stomach and saw the carnage you'd caused. Only bad thing I'd say was that awful section in the first game where you had to go around a trail of blood in, blood in pitch blackness <laughs> with your while well, your dead baby screamed its lungs out. Soon put that on mute. So it's interesting, like because we can't deny Andy Kurosaki his experience back in 2001 or 2002, wherever he bought his PS2. His expectations were such that the the fact that you know he probably hadn't seen it running on a on a high end for the time PC, and yeah, like that the expectations were so, were different and uh, to the degree that he had a great time, you know. And but yeah, having having played that recently on on PSN, and also you know we should even factor in that there are some. Uh, some issues with PS2 emulation on PS3 still with these uh, copies that re- they're releasing. They're not all 100%. Uh, they don't all carry the, fra- the same frame rate as the original releases. So let's assume that that's, that one suffers badly. So, But it is telling that if you look down the review scores on game rankings, the two lowest rated Max Payne games of all across all formats are Max Payne 1 on the... Um, I th- actually, no, I think it's Max Payne 2 on the PS2, which you can imagine was even more of a case of caught into a pint pot once you added in Havoc Physics and stuff, if, if that game, if, if that version even has that. Um, uh, and this Max Payne 1 on the PS2, and right down there in the middle somewhere is, is the bizarre Game Boy Advance version of Max Payne, which is... Um, a, actually, I was watching some footage of it earlier, and it, it pretty much... Uh, goes through the exact same stages and script and everything, but it's just all in isometric, uh, and it's sprite-based, and it looks really weird when Payne goes diving around, because it just <laughs> looks like he's suddenly underwater rather than... Uh, suddenly swimming across the screen. Yeah, exa- that's exactly how it looks, and of course, you know, you only had a D-pad and two buttons, but the, the whole thing playing on a 2D plane. But actually the reviews for that game, you know, it, it reviewed in, in the 70s, it wasn't, it wasn't a complete disaster. But the the yeah the, the PlayStation versions are a good uh, fifteen points lower than the the PC maybe twenty points lower. Yeah, they're, they're the, the PC versions. about ten percent lower than the Xbox versions, and I I remember that at the time thinking. Yeah, because I, you know, I had the PS2 and the Xbox, and thinking if I do get this, I will not be getting the PS2 versions. The the reviews mentioned the problems. Sorry, Tony. It, it, no, it is funny to me because I went back on, and you know, watched and read a, a number of reviews back from uh, 2001, and there's a, obviously a lot of hype about this, and a lot of people are anticipating it. Um, and just to hear some comments about uh, how this is, although the problem with this game is it's relatively short, and by relatively short standards, I mean I, you know, I think it, it clocks in around eight to ten hours. Mm. Like, you know, today I, I guess we say a game if it's four to six hours is relatively short. Um, but you know, it's one of the biggest criticisms then was that it just it wasn't much. You know, it it, it, it could have been longer. But yeah, you know, I, I say I've seen a number of people say it, it took them anything up to twelve hours to do, which kind of just made me chuckle to myself because mm. you know, that's not a short game anymore. That would be a long game. Not really. Um, and also, you know, for the price you pay, you don't. Uh, I mean, the in, insane thing is that you can you can buy this this pair of games on Steam for around a fiver. I've seen copies of the Xbox games for yeah, a couple of quid each. But the uh, the pit the pretty awful PS2 version that's on PSN, unless you got it for free with PSN Plus, will cost you £7.99. So don't get that version. That's hmm. that's a bit of consumer advice. Before we move on to Max Pento, um, I'd just like to voice some of the, the, the real faults that I have with the game, Please. especially going back to it now. Mm. Um, we've briefly mentioned that the 
level design is at times frustrating, not just in the, the blood trail, but there are other elements. You mentioned the parking garage, which is uh, just a seemingly never-ending spiral of yeah. a repetitive tyre screech. It's mm-hmm. the exact same tyre screech <laughs> eight times in the same scene. Um, you've got the underground bunker, where you have, again, an almost never-ending run of push uh, to open doors and lifts which just drove me mad even at the time oh and there's the crappy everything's exploding and going on fire level yes which is pure trial and error yep uh which is almost i believe is actually a mainstay of the max Payne series i believe it's been done in every game it's uh improved yeah the second game uh the one is uh, that that level is actually entirely fine and fair and enjoyable and uh, there's the the finale, the Acer Tower, mm. where you are climbing level after level after mm-hmm. level of constantly toughening enemies to the point where it becomes just a frustration. It's a difficulty spike which just notches up a ridiculous amount. Um, the animations in the game are questionable at best. <laughs> When you would swap weapons, he would pick it out almost what looked with his fingertips, like it was <laughs> a, a, a dirty gun. And he, <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Atrocious. You've got the you've got a cutscene where, for some reason, it breaks all reality of the game. Where first the Punchinella gangster and then yourself leap off this train, barrel roll through the air over a fence only oh, yeah. to land on your feet about 15 feet lower down and run off um which yeah the other thing i thought about that moment was also that max wouldn't have seen where the guy yeah, got off because exactly. he's like actually at the time that that guy gets off he's still in a building or something so he, he's completely guessing where he's gone um, yeah and the sound quality throughout the game um, yeah. Obviously, we've we've mentioned that there are errors on Windows, but this is beyond them. You've got the the voice work, which at the time was good, mm. um, but it's it's definitely low sound bits. It was yeah, it's very very yeah. very clearly recorded in a poorly soundproofed room. Mm. Um, you get breaking in the voices, but even worse, you get echo on the voices where you can actually hear them talking in a small room so it's completely separate from what you see on the screen it comes once again back to the developers it's almost like they put place holding faces and everything on there place holding sound files and that stuff never got taken Mm. out it was clearly built on a budget but there can be no excuse for building a sound booth for recording voices and having it echo into the game and the worst of them all is that the recorded Max's voice and for absolutely no reason, I don't know if any of you guys noticed this, sped it up. He talks quicker in Max Payne 1 than the actor speaks in real life. Uh, <laughs> we know this because of the same actor in Max Payne 2 mm. and 3. And in 2 and 3, his voice is at normal speed. <laughs> but if you listen to it in Max Payne 1, it must be running at something probably 1.1 1. 1 times. times yeah. 1.25 times. Right. It's very clear because there are times where he would say something then continue mm. but in the game it would just the break would be a fraction of a second <laughs> and it it just sounds so weird um it's definitely something to listen out for if you go back to it after playing the second one or the third one it, i think it's almost comical they were pretty um 
they were pretty happy with the actual uh, the performances, the cast, because I think most of them have returned, haven't they? They've, they've certainly kept the same. James McCaffrey, lead for, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, it, it took until the third game for them to base the model on him, though. Yes, this is weird because now Max has looked different in every every single yeah. game, which is a strange thing. Uh, Mona Sachs certainly returned. Yes, uh, yeah, uh, I, I believe for the time the the voice acting was considered um, quite good. It's it's quite hard to um, you know to think of other two thousand one games, but you can you can imagine that. Uh, it's uh, it wasn't poor for the time, and uh, Max Payne one did win a BAFTA. Uh, at won the... many Game of the Year awards as well. Yeah, and a lot of media awards for its sound mm. editing. Mm. Um, we'll come back to our, our overall feelings of the game, uh, the first one when we do our summary. So let's move on to the second game. Picks up um, two years later. Two, yeah, it's, it, I was going to say a year, but yeah, it must be longer than that. Yeah, it's, it um, is actually set. They are set in two thousand one and two thousand three. I think the games yeah. released. So time. basically, what's happened is uh, Alfred Woden, true to his word, cleared Max's name. Uh, Max is is back on the force, although different job. Uh, yeah, in, in a different job. He's he's still under the same chief of police, Jim Bravura. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. S- several of the characters uh, uh, return, and um, Max has got um, sort of the same self-destructive attitude now. And, and without his family, he doesn't have anything sort of uh, grounding him, and and he doesn't have that that tether to to uh, reality. And, and so he's he's looking for an excuse to go off the rails. By this point, I would say he's not really moved on emotionally. Well, he, he might have moved on downwards. Not as far as he has by the third game, I understand. But uh, no, that's for no, another show. He's, one he's positively a shiny, happy uh, yeah. ray of sunshine at this point. He still he still cracks wise occasionally in in Max Payne two. Uh, and and as we said, uh, James McCaffrey voices him again. Um, Timothy Gibb this time is is uh, playing Max. Yeah, uh, physically looks uh, far more the part I think than than uh, yeah, the, than the, the guy best ever way did. I can des- describe it is um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the actor who played. Um, the undercover police officer in the Resident Evil film, but in the first game, Max <laughs> looks a bit like him, the sort of second to Miljovic in uh, in Resident Evil, uh, and in this happily, I've blocked that entire too, film from my mind. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
Um, in in this game, in Max Payne Two, he's got almost much more of a almost George Clooney look to him when you first see more him. classic noir. Um, yeah, like definitely. yeah, the guy. You could always see that the guy in the first game was a, not that guy, you know, uh, and he was clearly wearing a wig and clearly wasn't used to wearing those clothes. And yeah, it, it looks far more natural in this game, I think. And of course, ironically, the most critical point to this game pre-launch was the fact that they changed the face. And many Max Payne fans were complaining. Well, as I said earlier, yeah, I think you know maybe it, it contributed to the uh, the poor performance of the game at retail because you know people like slightly crappy things once they've got used to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although interestingly, Sam Lake does actually play uh, three or four different characters throughout yes. the game. They're all Max Payne alike. Spoofs, in, Dick uh, Justice, Dick uh, Justice, all, uh, John yeah, Mirror in the, the dressing room. Yeah, so it, um, the the best way to describe it for anyone who's not played this game but has played Alan Wake is uh, in Alan Wake there's obviously on TV there's the TV show that seems to very much reflect um, Alan or, or it's a character very much based on Alan Alan Wake yeah. um, on the TV screen. Um, Night Falls. Character that Alan's actually Falls. actually written. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, also it, so played in, by Sam Lake, I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and so in this one there are several characters in on. TV shows that are playing on TV screens as you pass them, who are all very much sort of Max Payne likes. Um, the game really uh, rips the piss out of Max Payne one, quite a lot. Yes. Yeah, very much. Yeah, and, and I think in, in a good way. I think it's not it's not that Remedy aren't proud of Max Payne, and, and I don't think they have any reason not to be proud of Max Payne, despite well. our criticisms. Um, <laughs> as but uh, for what they were trying to attempt, and for a, a studio that was as as young in its its years as it was, that I think they they'd done something a bit different from what had come before, and this was their chance to then go a step ahead. And their sense of humour, I think, really added to this game. Um, they they didn't they weren't shy about sending themselves up mm. and sending up uh, their influences and and their characters. I appreciated this because I did not enjoy the first game and uh, and it was good to see that they were very aware of a lot of the things that they'd fallen short on you know regardless of you know I'm, I'm not I, I can only talk about it from the point of view of somebody who's played it recently and uh, and the the difference between the two games in terms of um, polish and skill is, is incre- just really surprising for considering there was only two years and it does make me wonder how much sort of influence and money take two um had in the time between when th- uh, 3d realms aka apogee most probably best known for their duke nukem games published the first game but it was very much remedy's thing but in the meantime as as i said in the intro they uh, sold the Max Payne rights because obviously it would, it was it had done well as as a as a new IP as it would be called nowadays, um, and Take Two obviously giant company with loads of money. Um, I wonder how much sort of overseeing and how much how much they actually influenced the the production values of the second game. Well, I think the key point is that um, it was one of the um, the. Rockstar Studios, um, Rockstar Toronto, had done the PS2 port That's of Max right. Payne. So obviously Take-Two take, take two and, and by extension Rockstar had a lot of uh, knowledge of what this game was mm. and the potential and so rightly decided to, to step in and say, hey, let's get these guys some money because like Microsoft after them, I think they saw what Remedy were capable of and just needed that extra 
guiding hand, if you like. Yeah, and actually, uh, the console versions were also published by Rockstar, um, of the, even of the first game, um, produced by 3D Realms is the credit. credit. Uh, don't know exactly what that means, but... Um, uh, well, um, it, it basically means that in the credits you'll see uh, George Broussard and... Um, uh, I'm forgetting the other guy's name, Scott's can't remember, from 3D Realms, so obviously yeah. there's there's a couple of people given Remedy some advice in the early stages, I would imagine. And mm. Kind of like Hollywood, you know, a producer credit can be yeah. important. But. Mm. Uh, so uh, the plot in this game is uh, actually, apparently the, during development, they wanted to call the game Max Payne, colon, the fall of Max Payne, but uh, I think it was probably... Take Two insisted on a on a two in the title. Don't know whether that was a good move or not, given the sales. Possibly not. Um, and it tells uh, what's the subtitle on the cover of the games? It says, it says uh, a film noir love story. Yes. So this is more about his uh, relationship with Sax. Yeah, very much. Um, the game starts with a, a quick recap comic of of where Max is and and what happened in the previous game. Um, kind of, um, but the most important thing is it starts very similarly to to Max Payne with a sort of foreboding voiceover and um, cutscenes showing you what will happen later in the game. Um, you see uh, Detective Winterson dead, and you hear uh, Vladimir Lem, Mona Sachs, and Jim Bravura all over the. Uh, you know, uh, you can hear them during what's playing out during the, uh, the initial cutscene. Um, and it's very much foreboding what's going to happen later in the game although you don't really realise it until you, you get towards the end of the game you don't realise what you've seen so yeah and, and straight back in uh, Max is back on the force he's um, uh, a, a homicide detective and um, just attending uh, the, the police have got word that there is a um, well, Vladimir Lem was in the first game and is a, a Russian mobster, and uh, he is—he has received—they've received threats. Basically, mm. he's received threats from the Italian uh, mob, and the this, these two uh, groups of individuals, the Russians and the Italians, are at, on the verge of a war. And Max is investigating. Is basically where we start. Yeah. So there are these uh, guys disguised as cleaners. Cleaners. They're known as cleaners throughout um, getting into apartment blocks, killing people. Uh, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. <laughs> They're pretty much an army. Uh, now, where does uh, this uh, Detective Winterson come into this? Uh, she's currently Max's partner, but he kind of doesn't want anything to do with her. Mm. He, he's begrudgingly her partner, although they are... Uh, early in the game split up and put on separate cases that turn out to be uh, linked um, but but she is a very sort of straight laced by the by the numbers police officer um, and Ma- the hope is I think partnering her with Max that she might sort of rub off on him a little in the figurative sense um, and uh, mm-hmm. and that obviously Max Not doesn't want anything um, so Max and uh, Mona are uh, trying to stop these cleaners killing important figures, including members of the uh, the the sinister inner circle. 
Yeah, so the the first place Max encounters them is they are attacking Vladimir Lem's uh, girlfriend, and unfortunately she dies, and Max then has to go and try and uh, protect Vladimir Lem. So um, very, fairly quickly it becomes apparent that these cleaners are in league with um, uh, another character from the first game, one of the Italian mob called uh, Vinnie Cogniti. Um, and Max, having stuck his nose into their business, is attacked in his home, um, and and that's where the uh, the scene where the the apartment being on fire comes into it. And yeah, much much better done. Um, mm. I think this is possibly the 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 only part of the game where I feel you can kind of get a bit turned around in the apartment section. Um, it, it's not entirely clear which floor you're always on and mm. where you need to be going and it gets a little bit like some areas in the first game Yeah, you're not entirely sure overall I found the signposting in the game both games actually was, was, was not bad but uh, there are a lot of um, non-usable doors <laughs> in these games uh, I know. I normally followed the trail of dead bodies. Yes. If, if there was a floor of dead bodies, I've been there. Yes. <laughs> oh, there, there, is actually, down um, there is actually a slight difference, especially in the apartment area. All the doors have this kind of like turquoise, bluish yeah. uh, color, but the doors you can't open have a sort of cracked grey yeah. uh, texture. Almost like top photo. Yeah. The texture. The textures vary. Yes. I mean, there, there, there is that, but uh, yeah, when you're wandering around uh, corridors with rows and rows of doors in. Um, you have to actually, you know, kind of go up to them to see what what they look like and stuff. But uh, yeah, not too bad. I found. Um, yeah, there's. I don't. I don't think we've sort of quite explained it. Although Max does a lot of walking around, uh, there are there is a certain amount of environmental traversal. You do a little bit of platforming. You do a bit of going up and down lifts and elevators, um, um, rolling between jumping between floors where holes are blown out and uh, various things like that. So it The second game's definitely better paced than the first, though. There's a, there's a lot more... I wouldn't necessarily call it exploratory, but um, there is traversing from uh, fight to fight. Mm. Um, a little bit of pacing between that, you know, where the first one was pretty much action, 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 comic book. Back into action. Yeah, <laughs> and also uh, it's far better at um, sort of announcing when you're about to fight people and give you some kind of indication of where they might be coming from. Um, and also because the sound is better, um, it, it it's easier to locate them, you know, if you're playing in stereo as to roughly where they are on the screen and stuff. Although the enemies are still psychic. They, they still oh, yes. know you're there before they have any reason to know you're there and will have turned around and opened fire on you potentially before you even... That, that does happen, but there are a few scenes where uh, you can stand and listen to them talking for a good while yeah, before they, they before the scripting kicks in. Yeah, there are invisible lines on the floor, I think. Yes. Um, you notice it particularly when you're just around the corner from them. Yeah. And literally, as soon as you get near that doorway, they will already know you're there. Which is why, if you're any kind of Max Payne player, you dive into every single room. <laughs> in slow motion just spinning the mouse round just to see if there's anyone there and if you do that into every room you have a chance of not having to com- constantly quick save and quick load <laughs> so Mona uh, remind me why Mona is um, see the, the the schism we have here is that uh, Max is, is still a cop but uh, Mona is um, wanted professional killer yes yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's uh, continued on from the first game and she is now a professional killer uh, suspected of um, 
a murder that Winterson is, is investigating, which obviously puts Max in a difficult position because he feels he owes something to Mona from their history together uh, and also wants to find out what's going on with his own case uh, and therefore is reluctant to to sort of uh, bring Mona in and and, um, and bring her to justice, as, as it were. Um, Mona is involved, uh, you find out later on, I think, because she is still being... Uh, she is still embroiled in the inner circle, um, mm-hmm. and so she is still employed and under the thumb of um, some of the people in the inner circle. Um, and she kind of sees Max as someone who they're interested in, and so she has to be, but someone who might be able to free her from the sticky situation she's found herself in. Uh, uh, yes, and uh, so unsurprisingly, this is literally a femme fatale, and uh, Max wants to uh, get jiggy with Mona um, and he uh, throughout the course of events he ends up having to make a choice between his cop who may may or may not be corrupt um, partner Winterson and the woman he fancies got the hots for Mona um, and he shoots the cop lady yeah yeah the, 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 that's um, the, the central act of this game uh, is probably what it's most notable for I would say because um, you are playing through this construction area. You are, you are trying to stop the the men in cleaning suits from getting to a member of the inner circle who is going to uh, blow the whistle on on what's going on and and why uh, mobsters are being used to start a, a turf war. Um, and so you're you, as Max, you make your way through this inhabited part of the building, um, and then halfway through the middle act you switch over and you start playing as Mona who's playing through the construction side of the, of the same building yeah. mm-hmm. um, and I, I really like that um, I really like that change, the fact that you're seeing the same building and you can recognise the structure of it but it's clearly still under construction and there's holes you can you can shoot through and, and jump through that you wouldn't be able to if you were playing as Max um, and I really like the sort of switch up that you have in the, the dynamic. Mona still has bullet time, it should be said, which is cool. Uh, she's got a Dragonoff sniper rifle, which uh, she's pretty shit hot with. Um, what was I going to say? Yes, uh, one thing we should mention is, of course, that uh, as far as Max was concerned, uh, Mona was dead or disappeared at the start of the... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, at the start of this game, having disappeared from an elevator in the uh, towards the end of Max Payne one, she took a bullet, didn't she? And then uh, yeah, disappeared. Everyone has always taken a bullet to the head in this game. Sometimes it kills them, and sometimes it takes a bit longer. Uh, so Max ends up in hospital after uh, Winterson manages to clip him one, uh, but he needs to go and see Woden of the Inner Circle, um, and. He reveals that, in fact, Vlad is trying to rule the inner circle for himself, and the cleaners are, in fact, Vlad's dudes all the time. So uh, Max goes to uh, Vlad's eatery, uh, shoots a load of people, naturally, uh, and then he bumps into, uh, as a little aside, uh, Vinny Gognitti, who is comically... Uh, dressed up as a uh, one of the one of the characters from uh, various comic strips you picked up in the first game and a cartoon that you see on the tellies in the second game. Uh, what's, he, what's he called? 
baseball bat. Captain baseball bat. Captain baseball bat boy. Yeah, sorry. So it's an escort quest. Yeah, well, you've been told before that Vinnie Gogniti is a big fan of Captain Baseball Bat Boy. Yes. And actually, the first time you are in Vladimir Lem's um, restaurant, which we should say is actually being renovated from the old Ragnarok um, building from the first Because it got fucked up so badly. Because it it got screwed up. So uh, Vladimir Lem's bought it and is now taking it over. And a couple of the doors, if you open them, you can see the old Ragnarok Mm. signs Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. decorations. Um, But when you go into Vinny's... Sorry, when you go into Vlad's office when you're in there trying to protect him at the beginning of the game, you can actually see there's a whiteboard in his office and he's drawn a picture of a Captain Baseball Bat Boy suit with a bomb drawn in the back of it. Yes. But you have no reference for what it is. And obviously by this point you realise that uh, Vinnie Gogniti is, was such a big fan of Captain Baseball Bat Boy that he bought this suit and put it on but didn't realise there was a bomb in the back of it that would detonate if he tried to take it off. Yeah, so this is all a bit bizarre. So uh, this this character on screen is enormous uh, compared to everyone else um, and he can squat down behind things but he essentially walks around very slowly in a lolloping style with a, a, a sort of squeaky walk going on um, while you protect him from hordes of uh, bad guys uh, who are, if if his pain bar fills, he will explode. His head doesn't fit through doors. This is the catch. That too, yes. Because it's, it's so big that he only needs to go through double doors, which means you're having to, to move around the location in all sorts of manners. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's an escort quest, but I... I Escort quests are always kind of frustrating if the person dies that you're trying yes. to protect. But um, in this instance, I, I was kind of welcomed of you know, a, a tad variety. Um, there was only one or two sections where I, you know, quick save was essential once you've taken down two or three people. Quick save, and you'd never have to do that part again. But uh, I thought it was quite. It, to me, it added a comical layer that was apparent in the first one, but actually in, in the second game there's a comical tone that actually you know runs pretty much through the entirety of the thing and kind of just this is the Sunday of that um, just trying to protect this ridiculous looking character on screen one of the major problems I had with the first game and there are many is that the tone is all over the place so it goes from dead baby to witty wisecrack to man pulling cheesy face in cutscene to oh my god my dead baby and it just never quite knows where it wants to be you know I'm all for dark humour I'm all for black humour but it, it doesn't it doesn't commit to any particular tone whereas the second game kind of does which again is is another way in which for me it improves on the first game uh, but I did find this escort quest a little bit annoying um, because I'm generally not a fan of escort quests but at least it had the the comic twist of the you know the, the whiny Joe Pesci like uh, mobster in a giant comedy baseball bat suit plus the fact that when you finish the quest he takes you into uh, no actually not quite just before the end of the uh, the mission you end up in his apartment which is completely decked out with uh, all the uh, baseball bat boy uh, merchandise you can think of and he talks about how it's uh, it's you know all kinds of tough guys are into geeky things and all this sort of stuff so uh, Mona and Max uh, help each other out and save each other in and, 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 and both the aforementioned mission and another section, I think, uh, as I recall. But uh, but one, once they get to the mansion, um, Mona kind of reveals that actually uh, she was uh, hired to kill both Max and Vlad. Uh, but she fails to kill him because she has... Feelings. Feelings. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the hearts for him. 
Um, and, but then Vlad shows up and shoots her. Woden's also there in his wheelchair. Yeah, and gets tries to uh, tries to take Lem down, but obviously uh, he, being in a wheelchair, and uh, is is not terribly physically able to, mm. to cope with with Vlad and and his a heavily armed shot. Vlad. Yeah, mm. <laughs> very heavily armed. Uh, Mona is uh, the second uh, love of Max's life, who gets killed. Really. Um, things don't get better for Max. So even though you know it sounds it sounds like uh, the game ends in a in a very miserable fashion, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't feel that kind of weighty, really. It didn't to me anyway. Uh, of course, uh, there is a again a final boss encounter with Vlad. Uh, this time, it's a sort of strange one. He's up on a, a a sort of glass roof that you can't climb up. Uh, with on a platform so again you shoot out some support struts thinking he's going to plunge to his death but in fact he just plunges a few feet uh, and he's chucking grenades at you you can't actually just shoot him at this point uh, and then you uh, drop another piece of the roof down onto him to knock him further but that doesn't finish him off either does it you end up pretty much just uh, he just pops out and you have to shoot him a bit think he he goes down with the, the sinking ship in that case what he did in mine when he lands on the ground with massive physics bouncing everywhere yeah he does think, yeah yeah i think that's that's that it's sort of much like the helicopter sequence yeah you have to release the um the pins that are holding yeah. this uh, sort of inverted pyramid ab- above him mm. um, and, and that then falls onto him and knocks him down but then yeah he's not quite gone it's very much a um a sort of typical uh, action film ending where yeah. the bad guy is not quite dead and, and comes back just one more time. Um, interestingly, if you complete the game on uh, the dead on arrival difficulty, which is the highest difficulty, mm. um, Mona does survive. Oh, okay. But that's not the canonical ending. Right. It's not yeah. the one that Rockstar chose to take forward for Max Payne 3. So. Okay. Ah, okay. Because right. obviously, after the fight, Max goes back to her, and, and she, uh, in in true uh, noir love story style, uh, dies in his arms. Mm. Um, but that's not the case uh, in in one version of the uh, of the. Yeah. So from as I said, the the first thing that struck me from the from the opening moments was, crikey, this looks a lot better. Like hmm. it looks. Better than two years newer, if you see what I mean. It look, it's almost like a generational leap um, between the two games. Yeah, very much. Um, it, it looks very familiar. A, a lot of the way the game looks, you can definitely see that it, it is the sequel. You know, um, yeah. but the fact that they've changed character models and that they look so much uh, improved, but also the, the change the environment so that. I mean, there are the, there is the odd advi- environment that you know, as we said, with the apartments, it looks a bit samey floor to floor. But you would kind of expect that. But the the variety they've got in some of the environments mm. as well actually is much much improved here. Um, they they just it's much better job all round in terms of how it looks visually. Yeah, I mean, the first game clearly looked good at its time. Uh, two years later, we got Max Pen Two, which, despite being in the same engine clearly looked leagues better in fact I think you'd be hard pushed to say that at its time there was you'd be hard, you'd be hard pushed to find any game that actually looked better than Max Payne 2 did 
Um, it, it was truly stunning. It had a bigger variation on enemies, uh, on environments than the first game did. The environments were bigger, they were more explorable, and they had a higher amount of assets within those environments, which, as Leo mentioned, the first time you shoot a guard and he flies back into the shelves and knocks everything tumbling, um, it allowed for a, a far wider range of scenarios to happen after gunplay. Um, we had a differentiation in those environments with the Mona Sachs Funhouse, which is certainly one of the more memorable moments mm. of the game, um, where everything is based on a sort of 2D hand-drawn backdrop of what you would see in any carnival funhouse. Um, yeah, and the, the idea is, isn't it, that it's kind of based on a fictionalised version of the first game, so it's mm-hmm. all a bit meta. Yes, it's it's based on the series Address Unknown, which yes. is is one of the TV series that you see with a sort of Max like in in as the starring character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you see a lot of sort of cardboard cutouts of scientists in lab coats toting green syringes, Indeed. and yeah. um, uh, and and the the sort of catchphrase of the serial killer that this, the TV series is based on is the flesh of fallen angels, which obviously is is from the first game. Some of the uh, the Jack Lupino, um ranting refers to that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's amazing. I'd, I can't believe there was only two years between this. Mm. Really, knowing what development is like, then you know ideas. Obviously, they had a bunch of ideas for the first game, which never got pushed past the actual storyboard phase because this game's full of neat stuff. I mean, like you said, the Funhouse, which is a really original... I mean, it's still original. I remember it back when I played it first time around in, in 2003. And going back there now, I was like, oh, this is such a, a fantastically you know, uh, realised little fun area. And with um, the, the whole thing where they do the visual tricks of walking into a tunnel of... of yeah. You know, like... Oh, you call it like the Twilight Zone effect tunnel where it spins around and if you get the camera angle perfectly it looks like you're looking weirdly into a warp screen um, but from from the from the actual look of the game to the feel of the game to the tightness of the you know the stories are a lot tighter the pacing is a lot better the, the enemies are a lot more interesting um, literally from the ground up it feels just a remarkably better game and you can't believe it's only taken or it would have been what from 18 to 20 months probably mm. of development time to make something so radically different from the first and it it's amazing whether that was just technology allowing to do that but stuff like you know we we've taken the the mickey out of the the uh, you know i'm i'm contemplated faces from the first one you go to the second one and you know they're classic faces which we know now but they add so much more so you have you know nuances in in the glances between characters so you know the love story although you know cliched in somewhat is re- is believable and you know enemies look like enemies mm. <laughs> rather than just painted on um, yeah. i mean it, it's not exactly uh L.A. Noir facial animation, but there's something no, but there, you know. There's, there's a huge step, and then we, we talk about the gameplay. We, we've already mentioned how Havoc has a massive impact, but it you can't. It's hard to uh, um, analyze like how how big of an impact it has because from the first games, it you know its trick is the bullet time, and that's what it relies on for pretty much you know eight to ten hours of the game. With this one here, you know the bullet time is there, and it's a different variation of the bullet time. 
the general just the combat you know even if you're not using the bullet time the combat feel of it is so much more organic and fun and you know, using the environment blowing bits up and you know it it feels like any game when they, they've got a new piece of technology they want to use it in every way possible so there's there's drums everywhere there's paint pots everywhere there's planks everywhere and they're just having fun with the, the physics engine but that's almost gives it its light-hearted tone which was you know kind of missing from the first game mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to talk about the, the engine, they did actually upgrade the engine because for the first game it yeah. was Max FX 1.0, for the second it was Max FX 2.0. So mm. um, it, I, I imagine it wasn't a completely new engine and it clearly doesn't look like it, but it's been upgraded in some way. Um, and we should just say that the engines for the PC version are, are in both cases, for both games, different to the engines used for the the. Uh, console ports yeah. uh, render wares used this time around which will obviously be familiar to anyone mm. who's familiar with, uh, with Rockstar games so, yeah. so they, they changed bullet time didn't they in, in the sequel they made some tweaks uh, bullet time lasts a lot longer mm. um, which obviously has the appeal of making life a bit easier for you I guess um, it also auto recharges as opposed to being reliant on topping up with mm. with kills Um and so the way I understood it as well is that, you know, before you could go into bullet time and obviously that room would just slow down, you'd, your cap falls. But in, in the second one, you'd go, you'd slow down. But the more people you killed, you had that recharging effect. And the slower the room would actually go, the max would still be going at a, a more consistent pace. So when you, you know, they do for a lot of enemies at you, you could actually manage the groups of enemies in a lot more. Yeah, your egg timer glows yellow when you're in kind of, I don't know, it doesn't have a name, does it? But it's kind of like super bullet time. Super bullet. Exaggerated bullet time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They also put a sepia tone over it as well. um, Yes, it's easier to tell when you're actually in bullet time. Yeah, absolutely. It looks really good as well, actually. I think the the sepia filter over the top of it looks really good. Um, They also split up uh, bullet time and shoot dodge as controls because for the first game, uh, if you were standing still and you hit bullet time, everything slowed around you if you were moving and hit bullet time um, you you went straight into a shoot dodge dive I'm right in saying that yeah but I actually changed it in the second game so it was more like the first game in that regard yeah. because I, I always wanted to be in bullet time when I was shoot dodging and vice versa yeah. so um, the reason they did that is they had obviously if you want to uh, to stop on the spot and freeze time hmm. In the first game, you would have had to stop moving and then execute bullet time, which takes, you know, it takes a split second. Yeah. And people were were shoot dodging when they didn't want to. So what they did was split it. So that the sh- in the case of the PC, the shift key now uh, executes a, a shoot dodge and Max would leap. Um, but if you just hit right uh, mouse button, um, whether you're moving or not, the world just slows around you and Max doesn't actually leap forward or leap in the direction. It so. loses a little bit of charm um, when you do that. There was times I was running just into a room and just hitting the slow-mo and just mowing people down and it was never, ever as fun as jumping from a balcony or you know down a set of stairs or anything like that. Um, but it you know, it worked. It was there for a reason, but you know, it was always more fun when you shoot jogging. Mark Atansky from the forum says, I bloody love Max Payne 2. Second favourite game of all time. Max Payne is good, but I thought Max Payne 2 was so much better story and gameplay-wise. I'd recommend everybody tries playing Max Payne 2 in first person, too. Uh, There's a mod. He says it's not a perfect mod. Sometimes Max's body can get in the way of the camera, but it's a really interesting way to play. I've played the whole thing like this, and it's still pretty excellent. 
There, there is a whole bunch of mods out there. I was uh, looking at a few zombie mods. Uh, there's tons of Matrix mods uh, for it, mm. of varying quality. Mm. They actually released a mod kit with Max Payne 2, didn't they? they? They didn't for the first, but it did manage some mods. I think some modded a multiplayer uh, mm-hmm. into the first one, which was actually removed before the game was released. Um, in the second one, they actually put the dev kit out. The other quick thing to say about Max Payne 2's uh, bullet time is that they introduce a pirouette reload system, um, which is which is cool. ridiculous. And, and not only is he pirouetting, uh, but he reloads a gun faster than is humanly possible. It's faster yeah. than it's actually possible at all. Yeah. But it's undeniably cool. It looks so cool, as ridiculous as it is. Um, so basically, whether you press reload or not, if you are in um, bullet, t- bullet time, um, what will happen is uh, if you get to the end of your clip automatically Max will spin round in super fast time and then just continue shooting in whatever direction your crosshair is uh, is pointed Mona's got a slightly different reload stance as well and she looks super cool doing it Mona also backflips in and out of uh, moves and stuff in the... yeah, that, yeah it's weird it's weird how sort of those those cheesy moments actually kind of work in the second game but like I said the first game you know, it, it felt like it had a trick and it stuck to it there is variation in the gameplay here so you have a, a sniping um, section where Max will well you, as Mona you need to protect Max don't you um, yeah this is a, which also is, a protect mission not quite an escort but is, a protect mission yeah. But it, it's it's fun in a way because you get to re go around the the building site which Max has been through as well. So you you know you're kind of seeing the building site from a different area, and then there's that big explosion which happens, which you know then you're you're trying to you know navigate this you know this place that's blowing up and then finding new rooms because it, essentially the explosions have caused things to collapse. Uh, once again, havoc physics engines all over the place for this one and having to navigate. So it just feels like there's you know you got that other protection mission of course, but. There feels to be there feels more variety throughout the the, the game to just make it stand out different from the first. Yeah, one. there's also a couple of moments where you end up with uh, not escorts but um, sort of colleagues, uh, cohorts alongside you, including one again sort of quite light-hearted scene where you've got a, a an alcoholic ex-cop and a hooker as your <laughs> as your wingmen, as it were, and uh, they simply uh, take out some of the bad guys for you. Yeah, there's all kinds of sort of different little bits and bobs in the second one yet so even though it is uh, a much shorter game in terms of time to complete it feels like you've done a lot more different stuff throughout the course of it and seen a lot more different stuff as well mm. what sort of completion times did you uh, did you fellas get for Max Payne 2 I think I was five and a half six hours something around that region yeah that sounds about right for a first playthrough uh, I think Having played through it, uh, when I played through it again, it was three and a half, something like that. It was it was mm. one sitting, easily. Yeah, it was um, five hours for me. And completing it once opens up uh, more. There's quite a few difficulty levels, aren't there? The, the, the game, I mean, this is true of the first game as well. I think the default difficulty setting on Max Payne 2 is slightly easier than the one in Max Payne 1. Um, you take slightly less damage per hit and stuff. Uh, the game still gets quite tough later on. Um, you will be doing a certain amount of quick save and reload. It's the definitely the nature of the game. It's not the kind of game where you can always 100% successfully guarantee that you'll manage an onslaught of enemies because you 
do need to know where they're going to come from and stuff. There were actually times in both games where you'd actually I'd be shot by somebody who I didn't even know was part of that scene because you'd focused on the three guys who were leaping over the wall and there was another guy who'd come in through a door or something like that. Um, but uh, the game does, you know, kind of show you the trajectory of the bullets and stuff. Explain New York Minute to me, because I know that's that's something that's progressed all through all of the games. Uh, even in free, I've heard a lot of people talking about it. So you need to do each scene to top. You kill people to top up your time. Is that right? Each chapter you get given a determined amount of time, a minute. Um, that clock constantly goes down at real time, um, and every time you kill an enemy, uh, you get additional time added. And the aim is to get to the end of that level before the clock hits zero, and then as it goes in in Max Payne 3 uh, you would then get leaderboarded in one of four categories bronze, silver, gold, platinum um, and uh, I can't quite remember from the original two but I know in the third one that it would be five seconds for a body kill, six seconds for a headshot ten seconds for a melee kill seems about right yeah so this is where I mean this is a, a good this is proper arcade gaming where it's a combination of skill and memory to uh, to complete the levels and I'm guessing that a lot of the trophies or and or achievements are based around this mm-hmm. in the uh, in in Max Payne three uh, there's only two there's one for completing New York Minute All right. and another one for completing New York Minute Hardcore yeah so probably two of the tougher achievements in the game. Uh, New York Minute's not too bad. Okay. Um, not bad for a 100 gamer score. Um, yeah, right. or, I believe a gold trophy in New York Minute Hardcore so. is hard, but that's only 10 points. Haha, <laughs> one of those. Yeah. One of them, yeah. Yes. Uh, Baker's 12 from the forum says, I loved Max Payne. From its storytelling, gameplay, quirkiness, Easter eggs, it was a perfect mix. Sadly, despite looking better and controlling better, I did not enjoy the second game as much. I felt that some of the little in-jokes and quirkiness from the first game did not work as well when pushed to the fore as they were in 2. So that's an interesting alternative view that uh, Baker's 12 obviously preferred the slightly sort of messed up vibe of the first game to the more consistent of the second. Uh, it's certainly quite interesting because I know that, that goes against, it certainly goes against the grain of, I believe, what all four of us think regarding the first to the second yeah, game. Yeah, but I doubt he's uh, alone either. Yes. No, very much not. I got... A distinct impression, not just because of sales numbers, but just from what I heard other people think of the second game when I played it uh, on release, um, that a lot of people didn't like it as much. Um, Anecdotally, I would say, and just from flicking through reviews uh, from the time, the biggest complaint is the length of the game. Mm. Almost no one says the game is in any way any worse, although obviously Baker's 12 does point some things he didn't like as much, but certainly in terms of critical reviews almost uniformly the complaint and the summary at the end is this game is too short um, mm. I, I disagree yeah, I think I they trimmed so. out a lot of fat I think yeah, they, uh, exactly. they made it a very very uh, sort of short but sweet experience I think they, they did exactly what they needed to do in the game but when you're paying 30, 40 pounds for a game that lasts, you know, one sitting potentially. Certainly, a lot of people might well have played it in one sitting. Um, I didn't initially, but now if I'm playing it, I will do. Um, yeah, I, I can 
I can understand why people would be mm. disappointed, but for me, it's quality over quantity. And for the money it is now, it's less of an issue because yeah, you're looking at about yeah. uh, a pound an hour maximum kind of thing. So, I, mean, I always find it hard to criticise any game that can go from start to finish without any noticeable dips in quality, um, especially if the you know the quality is good in the first place. Um, but aside from the length of the game, which perhaps is short very very good is that the secondary modes that unlock add a duration to the game uh, they're, they're very good they were very well received but I know a lot of people who never touched them. Yeah exactly that's that's so often the case with quote short games is that they're designed to be played and replayed and, and uh, to, to get some of the most satisfying experiences from them is about mastering them and uh, not just that, obviously, this is what I've done. I've had one playthrough of Max Payne 2 and uh, I enjoyed it, but I can see that if I if I had paid, you know, full price when it came out, 35 quid or whatever, um, I think I would have been motivated definitely to uh, go back and play through it a few more times. I suppose I would if, I was, if this was Max Payne 3 we were yeah, talking di- about. Different industry as well. It, well, slightly different industry back in 2003. I, I think more people actually did buy games rather than rent games for all the different myriad of rental services there is now or there's multiples of ways to pick it up cheaper um, you know I, I remember that game coming out quite expensive and staying quite expensive for a long time I'm sure it had the shit because of its pirated name. out of it as well and of course well, ironically the number one complaint for Max Payne 3 is that it's too long is it really? <laughs> yeah mm. Well, I just you know what what they achieved in two years between the two releases. You know, I you know like James said, I, you know I think all they did was trim out the fat. I'd rather have in, more interesting gameplay, uh, um, you know, a better told and tighter story than you know an extra five hours put on top. Just you know, so my bang for my buck seems a better deal at the end. We should uh, we should do our own summaries, but let's uh, finish this section with our last uh, correspondence and our three word reviews. So Fury Ace. He says, many people who know me know I am a Halo nut. True. But long before the big ring in space, the game that really grabbed me and forced me to beg my mum and dad back in the day to get a PC that could run it was Max Payne. I first played it at a friend's house. Now, I was 14 at the time. The Matrix had just hit and playing that level, it blew my mind. Not only because the bullet time, but the look, feel and great awesomeness of the game. From the art style to the music to the story, there are few few finer games in geekdom that I feel come close to pain. From the first round to the last clip, it's a joy to play. Slick and well-designed in a believable world full of memorable characters from Vinnie Gognitti to Alfred Woden. The characters made the story. Crazy but brilliant. So brilliant, in fact, I replay both the first and second game every Christmas. Strange but true. (laughs) Yeah, I go for Christmas nights every Christmas, but Max Payne, if that's your thing, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Our three-word reviews, we had three three three-word reviews, but two of them are from uh, Fury Ace, who we just heard from, because he's such a big fan, I've let him have one for each game. Uh, Kid Dog, his three-word review is New York Minute. Fury Aces 2 um, is Pills and Frills uh, and for Max Payne 2 is The American Dream and Rich Hoyle 24 says CD Snowy Shooter okay so we should summarise our own feelings on the games uh, and this is you know our feelings and also you know would we recommend people pick them up in whatever format right now let's start with you James um yeah, absolutely. I think the um, the the first game 
had a lot of promise, certainly in the intentions of what what uh, remedy we're aiming for, um, in taking a noir setting and and telling this action story in it. I think they showed a lot of flair in terms of their creativity and in terms of their delivery. Yes, it's got rough edges, and if you're playing it now, I wouldn't worry about any of the harder difficulty settings. It will feel like a challenge to get through the game in its sort of eight to ten hours, maybe, uh, of of play. Um, but I enjoy going back to it. I think it's it's got seeds there that it goes on to show in Max Payne Two were were worth uh, sowing. Um, Technically, there are definitely some issues. Uh, enemy AI uh, is is a big problem. I think animations aren't just iffy, but they're missing in in some cases. <laughs> Opening and closing a door is just a case of walking into the door and it will swing open, uh, which feels very very odd by today's sort of. I do that in life. You, know. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, you never opened a door face first. No. <laughs> um, and. Uh, Narratively, it relies a little too much on everyone writing letters to one another that explain exactly what they're doing and what they're up to and who's incriminated, um, which is a little strange. Um, I'm not sure you might be able to clear this up, Leon. Um, they use bullet cam when you use a sniper rifle, so you literally follow the bullet into mm-hmm. its target. Mm. I'd never seen that at all in a game before. Um, mm. I don't know if that's the first case. It's obviously something that's been used an awful lot in, in the time since. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it had been done before. I mean, this was certainly, like, e- other games do it, even the ones that don't model the actual individual projectiles that are coming out and, and give them a, 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 a physical model. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't remember seeing that before. I don't, th- I mean, there, there, weren't, there hadn't even been that many sniper guns at that point. You know, we were only a few years after MDK and GoldenEye, so... Yeah. Mm. It struck me as something certainly I hadn't seen before. So whether or not it's the first time it happened, to me it was something that was quite striking. Um, and so that's the sort of thing that when I say it showed a lot of promise, and that's what I'm, I'm pointing to, the, the little sort of in, sort of ingenuity that they, they put into the game. Um, but Max Payne 2, it pisses all over Max Payne 1 from a significant height. It really does. It's better in every single way. The soundtrack just is fantastic for that game. Sadly, I have tried over the years to get hold of the soundtrack for Max Payne 2 and all I've ever been able to get uh, is the the main theme. Hmm. Um, there are a lot of the songs on YouTube, but I don't think there's any publicly released version. I'm certainly going to try and find it. Um, graphically, it looks an awful lot sharper, we've said. Um, the humour, but also the focus of the narrative. Um, we've talked about stripping out padding, but they made it a single mystery with sort of different facets to it but essentially it's a single mystery you're trying to solve as opposed to this complex and convoluted twisting mm. story from the first game it's a single mystery which allows them to focus on the love story they're trying to tell which I think actually is done certainly pretty well given the characters um, and and the, the length of the, the game as well I, I think they do a pretty good job of making me feel like Max has lost something by the end of the game um, it, and and the little things that they paid attention to and improved as well. So I mean, the mirrors work in this game as opposed to just being grey blocks on the wall. <laughs> you can walk yeah. up to a mirror and, and you'd see yourself in it. it it's every mirror's broken in the first one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it used to happen a lot but, in those days. 
<laughs> but in this game you can walk up and there's a, shi- a slightly too shiny mirror perhaps on the wall but you can see Max in, in it and it's yeah. it's just a great little touch something they decided to focus on and pay attention to and, and sorted um, Max walking up to a piano and being able to play the opening notes to the theme is something that has, has carried on in the series but it's a great little touch to hear and be able to do that uh, kind of fourth wall breaking but it's a nice moment for you to kind of share with the character it's the little things like that that really um, drew me to, particularly to Max Payne 2 and I think it's a, it's a bit of a crime that it was so overlooked by a lot of people Tony? Really only echoing what James has just said, I mean I, I would say from the first one I, I think it's building blocks for a, a better sequel um, my 21 year old self 11 years ago playing an original Max Payne would say it was great fun diving off balconies and shooting people on the way down but you know 11 years down the line playing it now I, I don't know if I could recommend it beyond you know it's it's quite a classic game it's one that's gone into the, you know the lexicon of history of gaming and maybe for that reason alone you should play it but it's relatively long and feels somewhat of a slog now um, two just fixes all the wrongs all the, all the wrongs that have was there from the first one uh, like I said I don't think you can believe there's two years only a two year gap mm. between the two because there's such significant um, performance in the engine in the character modelling in the storytelling just from the ground up it, it feels like just a very polished version of what they were trying to do with the first one and clearly you know money was one of the things that helped them there um, it suffers a little bit from we've just got this new physics engine look how cool this new physics engine is on, on occasions but that's past the charm And um, but like James has really you know, summed up so frankly, I, you know, there's there's so many small aspects about the storytelling about the actual gameplay itself that you know, if, if I was to say you know, could you play this now then yes this game actually really does stand up to, to the test of time and you know it's it's nine years old, but it you know it's you know in some respects it's it's just a good competent shooter. Um, if it came out now, I mean, it's there's of course you can tell it's nine years old, but it, it, it I had fun playing this um, certainly for on the PC version. So yeah, that one comes recommended. But um, it's it's a hardcore hard call if you could go back to one if you didn't you know if you hadn't maybe done it before or maybe just check it out to see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, for me, uh, the first pain, the first pain, the, the first game, it was uh, yeah, obvious gag, but hugely appropriately known because I was coming away from each session actually in some discomfort in my shoulders because I was finding it so annoying and frustrating to play that I was all tensed up. Um, from the first moment where uh, you find your dead infant and I sort of, you, you, Max Payne lets out a, Darth Vader-esque no and uh, and my Max Payne turned around and went ooh a cupboard I'll see, see if there's any ammo in it uh, the one thing we haven't sort of mentioned is and, and I was so pleased to um, hear that there there's kind of self-referential nonsense in the second game but the both the graphic novel panels and the voiceover in the first game are so skin-tearingly eye-gougingly badly written um, that it was a struggle to kind of not just skip, 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 you know. And I, I was actually felt it was quite merciful at times that the voiceover was uh, was lost to me because of that bug. Um, it sort of the the prose set a low bar of a sort of um, pulp novel and fell well short of it uh, 
being more like the sort of ramblings of a juvenile who's just discovered the the idea of the metaphor. Uh, just horrendous. Um, gameplay issues like Max blocking his own line of sight and bumbling into things. Um, dumb scripted AI. Levels that drag on. Very little tactics or strategy to be employed. A little skill, which is about the only fun that the game offered me. Um, a game of learning from death, uh, dying, memorizing, quick save, quick load. Um, it looks so boring as well. It's not, it's not that it's old, old graphics. It's just, it's got no style whatsoever. It just looks so bland. It's got no sort of sense of atmosphere or, um, it's got nothing about it, which makes you think, Oh, cool idea. Or it, it, yeah, just bland. And yeah, I, I really thought the first game was a pile of ass, which meant that I came to the second game with such incredibly low expectations <laughs> that it blew them all out of the water by being actually quite good. Um, better everything. Um, better writing, better graphics, uh, better pacing, better level design. Um, the the story, while still not any kind of masterpiece, still quite a large ham and cheese sandwich, um, Coherent. It's coherent, yes, and it mm. doesn't. It doesn't seem like again. Sort of, if 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 the guy, you know, the guy wrote it just a few months after the first game, maybe maybe up to two years later. Like he really fucking learned a lot by writing that first game, and to the point that he could write, you know, those those bits in the game where he's taking the piss out of the fact that Sam, that, that sorry, Max could only speak in metaphors in the first game and stuff like that. Um, fair play to him. Um, the Havoc physics, although, you know, that, that engine is now starting to show its age a bit in that when, when people die in real life, they don't immediately turn into completely floppy rag dolls. Uh, here it works great and, uh, and it's such a, a welcome inclusion. Um, it means that rather than by the end of the first game, you're going, oh, for fuck's sake, it's gone into slow-mo again. In this game, because there's, you know, just just the mere fact that you never quite know what they're going to bounce off of or fall down or whatever, just makes every single uh, firefight that much more engaging. Um, and yeah, you know, I don't think it's any kind of all-time classic. It's, it wouldn't go on my epic shelf, as Darren would have it. Uh, but I would quite happily keep it installed as, and part of my Steam collection, whereas I immediately uninstalled Max Payne 1, um, thinking I never want to see that again. Whereas uh, 2, yeah, surprisingly entertaining. Carl, it's down to you. I think many people know that I'm quite a big fan of the original two Max Payne games. I've often recited them as some of my favourite titles ever created. That said, going back to it now, the original, uh, over a decade old, is no longer groundbreaking or revolutionary, or even really offers anything that we haven't seen done elsewhere better. What I would say is that the story still works. It's not the best told, but it's still interesting. It has some fascinating characters. And the story does continue into the sequels. The second game, uh, perhaps the most surprising about thing about it, is that nine years on, it does hold up um, a lot better than the original did. It looks quite nice. The physics still feel great. The story is improved. And to play, it does not feel outdated or old. Given that you can pick both of these up at any time through Steam on the PC for 
sub five pounds and in the sales even less than that it's i'd find it difficult to say i don't recommend it but i wouldn't say it's necessary to play them uh i would rec- if you wanted to i would recommend playing the second one uh before moving on to the third um i think james gave a fairly strong rounding up of all of our feelings on the title uh, I'm perhaps more of a fan of the original, even after this time, than everyone than everyone else. But that said, it's not really necessary to play it. Uh, there is a previously on feature in the second game, so if you really wanted to pick up on the story quick, just go and play that one. I, I. <laughs> And there obviously isn't really a reason why Max Payne 2 didn't sell in the quantities of the first one. Maybe it was just because you know the first one was something generally felt new at the time. So why 2 didn't do that? Because it's it's better in every single way. I can only assume that you know maybe we'd moved on slightly in, in gaming taste. Uh, maybe just Max Max Payne didn't catch. isn't the big franchise we all thought it was because Max Payne 3 has posted poor sales numbers as well. Well, yeah, two million. That's terrible. Mm. Yeah, let's not forget, it's poor by Rockstar standards, yeah. perhaps. It also rev- poor by the reviewed poorly by Rockstar standards, you know, 87% rather than 95 <laughs> so. it's, yeah. it's good having those standards, though. And yeah. I, I think, Leon, you might have hit on something there, because the second game reviewed poorer than the first. And, you know, I'm not a professional critic. I don't know what critics were looking for. Mm. Looking through it looks like the length of the game was what they criticised it for and held it accountable for. Yeah, because it wasn't. I, it clearly wasn't a backward step technologically speaking. In any yeah. any way, yeah. no, not in at any all. Way, yeah. So it's it's remarkable to me. I I don't know what was going on with the second game and the reviews for it, but the the notion that that few people could look past the length of the game and see that there was something much improved over the first year. Maybe that made the difference. Maybe the critical okay, reception. When, the, the written review had some sort of potent power, which you know, seems to be lost somewhat in today's more kind of media yeah. savvy. Well, world. it's still yeah, there's not there's not a huge amount in it in in the review scores, um, but enough for people to have thought, oh well, it's no better than the first one then, and it's the, and it was you know I think it was thirty four ninety nine you know in. Well, I brought it down. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, but it's interesting, you know, coming back to it now, you can, like for us, we can just see the quality difference. Um, and, you know, especially for me, who's only just played them now, it's just yeah. night and day. And um, yeah, I, I kind of think, you know, at the time, it, it, I would have thought it would have been just, a, just as apparent, if not more so. But there you go. Very odd. Let's just round up. Uh, you can play along with Kane and Rince. Uh, future featured games are to include Super Bob Brothers, Sword and Sorcery, uh, Dark Siders, Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, Borderlands, Borderlands, I should say, just uh, European uh, PSN Plus freebie this week, so you can get on that and play it in advance if you haven't played it already. Mirror's Edge, Half-Life, Asura's Wrath, The Castle of Illusion, Quackshot World of Illusion, Triumvirate, Syndicate, the 2012 model, Half-Life 2, Cave Story, Binary Domain, Pac-Man Championship Edition, DX... And the Half-Life 2 Episodes 1 and 2 and Shenmue 1 and 2. The full schedule, month by month, can eventually be found on the blog. The blog can be found at 
canandrinse.com. On there you'll find reviews, features, uh, also the quick rinse videos, which will also also be found on the YouTube channel. Uh, we're on Twitter, at canandrinse. We have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash canandrinse. And of course you can send a good old email to us, which is at canandrinse at gmail.com. Your support for us via iTunes subscriptions, reviews and ratings is appreciated. You can join us in the discussion before and after the show at characterselect.net slash forum. Just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, James Carter, Carl Moon, and you, the listener. I don't always do that. It's terrible, isn't it? Thanks, listeners. And we'll leave you with some, hopefully we've managed to get hold of some, uh, Max Payne OST. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>